Well, welcome to another episode of the Transfix Take podcast, where we are performance driven. Each week, we deliver news, insights, and trends for both sides of the supply chain. And today, we're joined by one of our favorite guests, William Cassidy, who is the senior editor of the Journal of Commerce. Welcome, Bill. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. We're so glad to have you. Now, lots have happened since the last time that we spoke. And as we look at the road ahead, here's what's going on ahead of produce season's gearing up. There's a possible freight recession that's looming and talks of another shutdown in China due to to an uptick in COVID-19. So that could be another shockwave to the supply chain. Bill, I would say it's sort of like freight javu, would you say? (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you like that one. (laughs) Yeah. You know, well, cycles uh, come back around in trucking all the time. So you know, it amazes me how issues that we looked at a, a year ago, 10 years ago, seem to come back up in the news once more. But I think we're also in a very different period at this point in 2022. Uh, there are a lot of things that are similar, but there are a lot of different factors affecting freight movement out there that you know perhaps we haven't seen in the past. Absolutely. And let's talk about the market as a whole, right? Because, you know, we've seen a lot of that change. We've seen a lot of it be cyclical trends coming back to the market, even in the in the last three years alone with the start of COVID to now. So where do you think we stand uh, as of today? And do you think that we are headed into a freight recession? That's a great question. I'll start by answering that last part first. I don't think that we are in a freight recession. I don't think one is impending. Could we enter one? Well, at some point, we always hit a recession after a recovery. So, so yeah, but there are reasons, I think, that fears about a freight recession outside of the spot low truck market are probably inflated, um, you know, or probably are, are linked to, you know, the speed with which spot, load, spot truck load rates fell uh, and also inflation fears. But, uh, you know, I think that we're in a period of still extended growth for the U.S. economy and for trucking. Uh, Freight is being bounced around between sectors and modes right now in different ways. And, you know, some of this relates to U.S. consumer demand, to U.S. manufacturing demand. We've also got all these issues overseas in China where we're seeing, you know, the shutdowns at ports. We're seeing freight, you know, being delayed significantly in Shanghai and elsewhere. So all of this combined means, you know, if 2021 was a year of disruption and also incredible growth, you know, 2022 looks to be a year of more disruption and probably slower growth, but but still growth and, you know, not certainly a return to 2019 or 2016, some of the, the low points of what you could call the before times, you know, back before COVID-19. You know, I've also, we're talking now about rates and how those are changing specific to both with contract and spot in mind. So Maze, maybe you can jump in here too, but what are some trends that you're starting to see with regards to both sides of those markets? And how do you think they are impacting our carrier base? Yeah, I think Bill hit on the head. Um, When people talk about a freight recession, they're really focused on the spot market. We are seeing still high volumes overall in the market. It's just this volume has really shifted back to the contracted. 
rate. And what, what that entails is that spot, spot rates are going to continue to fall if contract rates are rising. And that's what we saw over the past few months. Contract rates are rising. So now carriers are more committed to their shippers, forcing the overall demand in the spot market to fall, which is pulling down the rates with it. I can just add in, Justin, talking with shippers in the past few weeks, one of them shared a chart with me that showed her company's uh, shipment volumes, spot and contract truckload uh, from like March of 21 through March of 22. And you start out in March of 21 with the spot shipments representing about 70% of what they were doing. Wow. You get to March of 22, it's about 30%. So her company made this complete reverse, pulling away from the spot market, going contract. And the reason for that was they wanted guaranteed capacity. You know, the contract rates were hitting a high point. She's paying a premium, no doubt, but she's getting the capacity that she wants. She's not getting the tender rejections. Um, and that's, that's, you know, I think what a lot of shippers have done. You know, there's been a, and, and that pushes down, of course, spot rates. So if you want to look at why spot rates are dropping, I mean, why demand in the spot market is dropping is because shippers are moving their freight over to contract carriers. And I think if you look beyond the truckload market into LTL, LTL carriers and shippers aren't seeing a big drop in demand either. Um, they're seeing demand levels still exceed 2021, maybe not by much. Uh, and they're seeing, you know, I think demand shift, you know, in time periods a little bit, but they still see strong demand. And, and we can tie that directly to the increase in industrial activity that the Federal Reserve reported last Friday with a, a nine-tenths of a percent increase in manufacturing activity or industrial production, I should say, from February. And it's actually a 5.5% year-over-year increase for the month. Now, for the first quarter, total industrial activity was up 8.1% year-over-year. So that's a pretty healthy jump and really generates a lot of palletized freight for LTL carriers and for truckload carriers as well. But I bet a lot of that's moving not to the spot market, but it's moving under contract. Yeah, you hit it on that again. People, shippers want stable and consistent capacity right now. And they've, you know, through many bids and just through the regular RFP cycle this year, they really found that by paying higher contract rates, which again leads to those lower spot volumes and pulling those rates back downward. So that says to me, Justin, if you're a smaller carrier and you have a couple of good shippers mm -hmm. that you can have contractual relationships with, man, this is the time to dig in deep with them <laughs> because, you know, they're going to be seeing if they're industrial shippers, probably more activity, right. uh, they will need the capacity and you'll probably get it at a much better return than you would if you rely solely on the spot market. Without a doubt. So, you know, it's interesting because we have this next generation of trucking, right? We keep talking about these newer drivers that are coming into the industry that may not understand the shifts that are constantly, it feels like at this point of, of like the tug of war between contract versus spot. So I wonder, Bill, can you maybe set the stage in terms of when you see those trends changing more in a carrier favor versus a shipper favor and why we see those uh, swings throughout the years? Yeah, you know, it differs from cycle to cycle. I mean, trucking does move forward in cycles, right? We go up, we go down. We don't go down always as far as we went before. 
So we go up again, and when we come down again, we're at a higher level than we've been in the past. And, you know, sometimes those cycles, you know, I think one thing we get wrong consistently, and I think this is something in the way we think, we tend to think of these cycles as something that are natural, (laughs) like spring and winter and fall and summer, right? We come around every year, not in that order, but they come every year. (laughs) Uh, Trucking cycles do occur, you know, in a progressive chartable basis, but they're not natural. They're not a naturally occurring activity. So, I mean, sometimes they can be very compressed. Sometimes they can be long. Mm -hmm. Uh, Historically, they used to be longer than they are now. We used to see the, you know, the peaks and the valleys be spread further apart. You know, you get into the last decade, you know, when we recovered from the Great Recession, 2008, 2009, these cycles became more, they seem to become more volatile. They seem to take place more often. You know, so in 2014, we were talking about, you know, you know, a capacity crisis, a capacity crisis, a capacity crunch. Right. 2016, everyone was complaining that we had abundant capacity. Same thing happened in 2018 going into 2019. And, you know, maybe it's happening now to an extent. But I think we have to remember that these things tend to happen because we've decided because we've decided in some way to change our behavior. I mean, recessions don't occur naturally. Uh, They often occur because we decide we're going to do something like hike interest rates to counter inflation. Sure. Um, You know, or guess what? There's a global um, financial collapse, as we saw in 2008. Everybody stops buying anything. Right. The big difference in this past cycle, and one reason that has made it such a comparatively a long cycle compared to the, the few we've seen, say, in the past 10 years, the, 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 we didn't stop buying stuff in 2020. It wasn't a recession caused by a global economic crisis. It was a recession caused by a global pandemic crisis. Right. So outside of that initial lockdown where everyone shut down and uh, stores were closed, distribution centers were closed, you know, we continue to, to move, you know, emergency goods, you know, you know, the, the goods that everybody needed. And then as soon as we could go shopping again, we did. And government stimulus helped us with that. Sure so, so, yeah, so we didn't see, a, you know, the kind of cratering of demand that we saw in 2008, 2009. Right. That led to this huge increase in the spot market. It led to a huge increase in e-commerce. That's changed how things are moving across the board, I think. And, you know, takes us into 2022, really in a different place than we were in 2019. So that makes me a bit more optimistic, though there's still a lot of, you know, if, if you are a trucker or a smaller carrier that basically lives in the spot market, I think you need to find some other solutions because those who live by the spot market can also die by the spot market. You know, it's, mm. it's the kind of thing where if that's all you have, You'll do great when the boom is up. Uh, when things go down, it's going to be a hard, a hard time. So, <clears throat> for all the people who are new to the industry who've come into it, and I'm sure there are plenty of them out there, I don't think that's all of the increase that we've seen in the past year or two. Mm-hmm. But I think it's part of it. I mean, I think you know there've been plenty of people who said, "My cousin Don, he tells me this is a great time to get in trucking. Sure. He's been doing it for years. 
and he's making a ton of money. So I'm going to get my CDL and I've got a rig here and I'll work with him. Well, the thing is, you want to work with that cousin, Don, who's really experienced. You want to find someone right. who can be a mentor. Uh, you want to use all the tools that are available to you today, which weren't really available in many cases in 2019. Um, so I think, you know, that's the way to, to avoid taking a deep hit. And, and a good part of that is knowing what your costs are. If you don't know your costs, you're not going to be able to manage your profitability and, you know, you'll wind up in a bad place. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing I'll add to that, and I've spoken for a long time very quickly. No, this uh, is great. I'll turn it back over to Justin in a second, but I do think that a lot of the people, I think this might be a different period than what we saw in 2019 for the drivers out mm -hmm. there. You know, we had about a, more than, a, I think it was 109,000, according to FTR Transportation Intelligence, right. 109,000 new motor carrier registrants in 2021. It's an incredible number. It's like more than twice the usual number. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so some of those may have been new people who wanted to cash in on the gold rush in the spot market. I think though, there are a lot of experienced drivers out there. They've been, they've been moving over the past 10 years away from the large truckload carriers to smaller companies, founding their own businesses, um, signing on with smaller carriers where you know they're not number... 2,345. Right. Yeah. So I think this really accentuated that. And a lot of them who are very smart said, hey, you know, we can make a killing right now if we take our own rig and go in the spot market. And, you know, when, and we'll do that until things look like they're turning, then we'll go back to the big carrier we've been leased to or that we've worked for because they'll always need more drivers. That's true. Yeah. So I think that is a, a, a strategy and a mentality that is probably out there in the marketplace. And those people who understand that and who know how to run the business and know their costs have made tons of money in the past year and a half. Absolutely. And, uh, and are in a great position right now. In fact, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if the fuel costs continue to rise and the rates you know, don't moderate soon yeah. and find a new floor. Some of those carriers are going to say, okay, we've done our stint. We're going to keep our authority. We're just going to go and, and work elsewhere for a while. And we'll come back when the market looks good. Well, because they're getting killed by the overhead costs. I mean, we just now, now I think, you know, as we saw at the top of COVID-19 or at the height of it, right? everybody was talking about trucking and the supply chain and what is logistics and all of this. And now we're starting to, I mean, I can't remember the, uh, the gentleman who just did this the other day. It's a late night comedian. I don't know why his name is escaping me, but he just did that segment on, um, last week today, all about trucking. And they had a piece of, of the segment where a driver owner operator team was talking about how their overhead today with the rise of fuel costs is literally killing their business. And that's something that they didn't, they didn't foresee because they're new, they're new owner operators, they're new to trucking and they weren't working with experienced drivers to your point. Right. So I think you're, I, I absolutely see this trend of folks kind of jumping ship, keeping their authority, but then riding with a, with a big fleet so they can at least keep some sort of stability in because it is, it's a really volatile market. Yeah. And, and I think some of this is unplanned and some of it is planned. I mean, uh, you know, I think we, again, tend to see these ups and downs. And 
you know, tend to think, okay, oh, fuel prices rise really high. This is yeah. bad. It's bad yeah. for truck drivers. And no question, it, it's more costly for them. But, you know, I think there are a lot of truck drivers out there who really know not just how to drive, but know their business well. Right. And they're able to, you know, plan ahead. They manage their costs well. And when things get tough like this, you know, they know what loads not to take. Right. And maybe that's the best advice, you know, don't take a load unless it's going to give you a profit, you know, yeah. don't, don't do what a lot of carriers have done, not just small companies, but large companies, you know, in LTL, we talk about operating ratios a lot, which is a reflection of profitability. Sure. So if it's over a hundred, of course, you're unprofitable. If it's under a hundred, you're making a profit. And when you look at, you know, the, the LTL earnings reports, you know, a company like ODFL will say our operating ratio is 75 mm -hmm. or 72. Uh, another company might be at 95, which means they're much less profitable. Uh, they're making about five cents on the dollar compared to another company making 25 cents on the dollar. Right. So this also applies to like individual loads and to lanes if you have recurrent business. So, you know, some companies would say, well, heck, heck, I know that I'm going to lose money on this first head haul, you know, or on this back haul, but I'll make it up in the next head haul. Right. That doesn't really, you, you tell me, Justin, I don't think that really works out too well, especially in this kind of market. You know, the past couple of years that head hauls and the back hauls, it's all been pretty profitable for people. But, you know, now you really got to look and say, if that's not going to be a profitable trip for me, I'm just not going to take it. You know, it probably is better for me just to park for until I get a more profitable trip, you know, mm -hmm. and to keep looking for those trips, you know, uh, you know, through services like Transfix and others, you know. So I think that that is probably the best advice I can give to anybody out there who's concerned about this is, you know, know your costs. Don't take the don't take the bad freight. Yeah. Uh, find mentors who can help you through this period. And, you know get a good understanding of how people long-term manage these ups and downs. Right. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think there's going to be a lot of carriers that revisit the lanes that they run right now. Um, I mean, we speak to carriers, mid and small carriers every day, and they're pretty shocked at how fast the rates are coming down on the spot market. And they are you know, heavily weighted on the spot market. And, and to your point, most of these drivers are either coming from a past experience in the industry or from the larger fleets because they were making really good money for a substantial amount of time. And they, you know, they wanted to go run on their own. And many of them are smart to where they know that they are going to go back to the, the large asset fleets come difficult times. Um, I think it'll be kind of something to keep an eye on of how it turns out over the next few months. Cause if they just got back in running on their own, under their own authority, they probably took on some expenses yep. that are much higher than they traditionally do when coming on board um, with the, the, skyrocketing cost of trucks and insurance and trailers um, and now fuel mixed into that. So it'd be interested to see how the industry kind of navigates it to these drivers possibly going back to these larger fleets along with, you know, moving contractually instead of spot, which makes sense when it aligns with larger fleets as well. These things tend to fix themselves, don't they, Justin? I mean, you know, if enough drivers say, hey, the rates are so low right now, I can cover my basic costs. I'm gonna park my truck and I'm gonna go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go work for a larger carrier. I've got a 
one customer who wants me to do, you know, regular freight for them. Yep. You know, forget being out there on the spot market. Suddenly, capacity contracts on the spot market, which tends to push those rates back up if demand is still there. You know, and you know, as those rates go back up, then we see a whole new cycle begin to develop. You know, it's interesting too because shipper behavior is changing just as much as carrier behavior is, right? So now we're starting to see that shippers are not moving as quickly as they were to push freight out. And I think that might be because there's, you know, it could be attributed to port easing uh, from the backups that we had last year into this year. But also as inventory levels increase and we, you know, do we foresee this being an issue in the future with these China lockdowns kind of looming? Is, do, you, do you see that happening at all? Yes, there are a lot of moving parts here. So let me try and unpack it a little bit. Yeah. The inventories are increasing. I believe that the most recent uh, reading on an inventories, which just came out this past week, uh, they're up something like, oh, here's the not adjusted figure, total business, 12.5% year over year in February. Hmm. Uh, retailers inventories up 7.4%. Manufacturers up 9.7%. So those are substantial increases in inventories. But here's the weird thing. You look at the inventory sales ratios uh, and you know, like the retail inventory sales ratio, 1.13, that's flat with January. Uh, a year ago in February 21, it was 1.23. So this tells me that with the lower inventory to sales ratio, things are moving faster off the shelves hmm. or faster through the factories. Uh, they're about the same year over year for manufacturers, but the retail inventory is still inventory to sales ratio is still historically low, which indicates that inventory can't stay on the shelves too long. Mm. That means they have to pull in more inventory, right? You know, whether it's domestically made or imported. So, you know, there's still, despite higher inventories, we have a need for more inventory. I think a lot of that comes from the fact that inventories have become more dispersed. Uh, they're no longer concentrated in, in one big distribution center. Right. And what I hear when I talk to carriers is that, you know, our customers want us to be, their customers, customers want the freight closer to the end consumer. Right. So everyone, and this has been going on for uh, several years now, but it's still expanding everyone is relocating toward more smaller, more dispersed warehouses that can hit people within a day. Um, and as they do that, the carriers have to follow suit with terminals or with facilities. Sure. Uh, it means there's more regional driving being done. Uh, so these are all trends I think people need to keep an eye on. And if I were a driver looking for freight, I mean, that regional opportunity, I think, is out there right now. The long haul opportunity might be not as strong. Justin, what do you think about that? No, you're definitely right. There's definitely been a shift of length of haul. Um, to Jenny's point, I think there's less of a need for shippers to ship longer haul right now. Uh, I think inventory has kind of been getting dispersed across the country and it's it's more of a, I don't want to say city local, but regional, like your state in um, case to where you're going to see a lot more regional volume, which actually works in a benefit for a shipper because instead of a driver being on one load for say six days, they can, you know, turn three or four loads in that six days instead. So the volume's still there. It's just one driver's to do multiple shipments instead of sitting on a long haul shipment for six days. 
Absolutely. Let's go into produce season, right? Cause we're kind of at the, I think, I feel like over the last couple of years, the, the identifying markers for produce season have shifted a bit, but as we move into what is the traditional marker of produce season, you know, it feels like since, um, since COVID and we're now in year three of it, which is a little wild, but it almost seems like it's constantly being overshadowed by other natural forces. So can you share some thoughts on what the future of produce season looks like for 20 year 2022 and then beyond if that, if that will change in its evolution and Bill, I'll throw that to you first. Okay, great. I mean, Justin and I talked about this last week and, you know, Number one, there will be a produce season because people need to eat, just as we need to buy gasoline and, and heating oil and stuff like that. Uh, it doesn't seem to be following the typical pattern, though, that we may have seen in the past with it really coming out strong in March and, and then building and moving as the year goes along from different crop growing areas. Uh, that may have to do, I don't know, with weather, perhaps, maybe some, some shift in demand or or uncertainty. I, I think one thing that is, uh, you know, really interesting the past week, we've seen all this disruption at the US-Mexico border as Texas implements secondary inspections of trucks, safety inspections, as they come out of US customs. Uh, Mexican truckers were basically shutting down the international bridge in, uh, I believe in Hidalgo Far, but there were also protests at other border crossing, border entry points, you know, which you know really disrupt the movement of produce from Mexico into the U.S. Right, and uh, you know could lead to some stockouts in stores and in some categories of produce. Uh, that may not be happening long. It may be resolved. Apparently, there's been some agreement between Texas and three of the northern Mexico states. Uh, but uh, it does show you how you know tenuous to an extent these supply chains are and how vulnerable they are to disruption in, in ways we haven't seen before. I mean, yeah. you think about what happened in Detroit in uh, February when the, uh, you know, the, the Detroit-Windsor Bridge was shut down, the Ambassador Bridge was shut down mm -hmm. for about a, a work week. It never happened before you know, in the history of that bridge, and that's a major major border crossing, especially yeah. for automotive shippers. So, you know, there's, there's still the possibility for a lot of disruption out there that will affect the flow of goods and the price of goods. Yeah, I couldn't agree more there. Uh, it's, it's crazy to see disruptions just pop up out of nowhere, like what is taken still place in Texas. Um, and, and I also, Jenny, think that produce season possibly won't mean as much coming out of the Southeast this year, just because of the the high demand of imports that are coming through those ports. Uh, like, you know, Savannah's on, as of February, was on its 18th month of setting a record of imports. Uh, same thing with Charleston was at 13 months. And the amount of freight coming in to the Southeast that they're not used to, um, we usually look to like the state of Florida to really only see volume spike through produce and that's it. And then it's a, it's a dead market. No one really wants to go there because doesn't produce anything else right and now you're starting to actually see a lot of you know goods being imported in through jacksonville savannah charleston norfolk throughout the southeast which may you know kind of hide the effect that produce traditionally has on outbound volume in the southeast 
this is one of those things when we talk about imports, you know, and how they affect the overall flow of goods. I mean, obviously in China right now, we're seeing, you know, disruption in Shanghai uh, and in other ports, you know, where there's congestion, there's a backup of freight because of COVID lockdowns, uh, trucking delays, all these things are happening on that leg of the, tra the Trans-Pacific journey before freight gets to LA Long Beach. You know, so back in, in January, we saw the peak of disruption in LA Long Beach and we had over a hundred ships anchored you know, or being unloaded right. you know, much more than, than they could handle. And that kind of fed through into you know, the spot market. That's cooled off a lot you know, coming out of California. And, and Justin, you can perhaps fill us in on what you're seeing in terms of rates coming out of California. But a lot of the, that's partly because a lot of shippers said, you know, we're not going to go to LA Long Beach. We're going to take the freight that we're bringing in prior to uh, the Chinese New Year and send that to Houston, send it to Jacksonville, Savannah, Charleston, Norfolk, the ports you mentioned. Right. And that means there's a whole different source of freight now coming out of the Gulf and the Southeast. And you have these high rates going back from the Gulf towards California and Arizona, you know, kind of the reverse flow of goods, because people who were going to who would, who would bring goods into California for California now are bringing them into other areas and shipping them back to California. So we've we've got this disruption uh, to freight flows, which you know is kind of perhaps evolving toward you know what we'll see in the next few years. Uh, because I don't think that people are going to say suddenly, let's shift everything back to L.A. Long Beach again. Right. It's, it's still the biggest U.S. port and will remain the biggest U.S. port, most likely port complex. But, you know, you're going to see more stuff coming in through the East Coast and the Gulf Coast than you had in the past. That means there'll be more need for for trucks, trailers, you know, and in some cases, intermodal rail from these ports, um, you know, than we have had up until now. Yeah, I mean, like to your point, California was what I call the first domino to fall in the current market. Uh, that, and that is the first state that we started seeing large decreases in overall spot activity starting at the tail end of January. And then, as we know it today, kind of, you know, the domino effect across the rest of the country. Um, to, to your point, it's now very difficult to send a carrier back to California to where before that was the gold rush for, you know, 18 months. Now it is the complete opposite. And it's, uh, you know, looking forward at the disruption that's happening right now currently in China. Uh, you know, we could be in for a completely different summer than we expected um, with, you know, the time that it takes for those impacts to actually reach us here in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, a good question is when are the, you know, like back to school sales, uh, Labor Day sales, holiday, pre all the, all the fall holiday stuff. When will all of that arrive in the U.S. if it's being imported from Asia? You know, uh, a lot of it we think was going to be pulled forward in any case. Right. You know, I mean, last year, if you wanted to get stuff for back to school, it had to be here in, in you know, like April and May. You couldn't, you know, order it in July and expect to get anything, you know, before the end of October. Uh, so a lot of people, you know, we saw them pull freight forward in January and February. And that consequently helped with the decline in the spot market to an extent in, in March. Um, a lot of activity had already taken place that would normally take place in March. And 
we might very well see the same thing again now uh, as we get into the spring. You know, we've been expecting a big buildup in imports right through into the summer. And the fact that so much freight is probably being delayed means that there may be again more, another wave of port congestion, another wave of transloading of more intramodal demand and more truckload and LTL demand as well, coming a little bit later than expected. You know, and we've seen some of this in the past too, in, in the sense that you know, some years, the kind of trough that you see uh, you know, in terms of spot rates, it really lasts from May right into, I mean, from, from February right into June in some cases. You know, in some cases, we've seen a big pickup in March. You know, one, one real thing that makes things, which makes this March hard to compare to last March, was that in 2021, we had, you know, a, a huge shutdown in February, thanks to winter storms. That made March so much stronger than it would normally be. That's hard to compare this March to March 2021 in a lot of ways. I'd love for us to, to end on sort of a, a pre-prediction, if we will, plan on what is going to happen for the second half of the year. And I know that's a little hard. Obviously, we don't have a crystal ball. But if in your eyes, based on trends for right now, what do you see ahead? And that goes to both of you. I do have a crystal ball around here somewhere, but it's rather murky. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really that smart. I just talk to smart people. So Fair. like the two of you. So that's how I gather information. You know, all that I'm seeing calls for continued growth in 2022. Um, there's no real threat of an economic recession on the horizon unless we panic ourselves into one. But I think we'd have to try really hard. Uh, GDP, U.S. real GDP is growing about 3% uh, in 2022, according to S&P Global, which is the parent company of the Journal of Commerce, JOC.com. Uh, you know, prior to this past recession, back in what we call the before times, before COVID-19, 3% GDP growth year over year, that would have been great. You know, that would have been, you know, because most of the last decade, we were averaged around 2.4%, 2.5%. Uh, of course, we saw really strong growth in 2021. So that changes our expectations. 3% sounds a lot slower than it used to, than it would have felt, you know, 10 years ago. Right. Um, but, you know, still it's growth. I mean, I think we will see shippers continue to expand their contract business for now. They've, they've made these commitments. You know, we're at the, the tail end of the RFP bid season. So, you know, are they going to go back now and reopen contracts because spot rates have dropped? Maybe some will, but I think those shippers would be, uh, I, I would warn shippers to be careful about that because when you've negotiated a, like a, 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 a bid and you've got all these lanes, you've got all this demand and you then say, we're going to go back and reassign this and we're going to change it because spot rates have come down. Uh, you open yourselves up to a world of hurt if things change and they very well could change by the fall. You know, we, we still have that wave of delayed freight that's coming from China. Yep. We've got a back to school season, most definitely. Uh, I think one of the really interesting points from the Federal Reserve's manufacturing or industrial data that came out on Friday was that consumer goods production I mean, consumer goods production uh, for durable goods rose 5.7% in 
in March compared to March 2021. You know, these are the goods, you know, that we're not supposed to be buying anymore because we're all going to be buying services, right? Right. So washers, dryers, refrigerators, you know, household appliances. So what's going on there? I, I think what may be going on there is, you know, housing starts have still been strong. There's still a lot of home building going on. All these homes need all these appliances. And there was still a lot of pent up demand from last year because of all the disruption and the, and the shortages. How many people wanted to buy a car last year, but couldn't? Uh, how many people wanted to buy a wash, uh, like a, a new uh, washer and dryer set, but were told, well, you've got to wait six months. Right. I mean, I hear this all the time from people and, and that's anecdotal, but it also, I think is reflected in all the figures. What we're seeing is still strong demand that will drive probably a good amount of truck freight going through the second half of 2024. You know, you know, again, whether that now that uh, truckload contracts have been signed and uh, LTL carriers are adding capacity to an extent uh, will mean that spot rates will continue to go down or, you know, they will probably find a new floor at some point this year. I'm sure. Yeah. And, and then, you know, Justin, you tell me, when do they go up again and how quickly? Well, will this sharp, steep drop that we've seen still right now at leave spot rates pretty well elevated over where they were back at the, during the recession? No, I, I definitely agree with you. And I agree with you that shippers are going to continue to take advantage of the current time and push more and more freight over to contracts. And that's through mini bids, um, using mini bids kind of the opposite way that they used it through COVID to where, you know, they were trying to get freight repriced for carriers because they were not taking it through their acceptance. And now it's going to be, hey, if you're not taking X of your acceptance, then I'm going to luck out by putting it out to mini bid. I think by mid-May, we'll probably see the bottom of the, the spot market kind of dropping. We're already seeing out on the West Coast, it's, it's really slowing down and, and kind of becoming stagnant. Um, with rates not going as low week over week as they've been. Um, But then on the opposite side of that, in the Midwest and Northeast, we're still seeing rates drop pretty fast. Um, But I do agree with you that I think we are going to see a different market in the second half of this year. I think there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand with imports coming in that is delayed due to the issues we're, we're seeing over in China. And I also think that it's it's going to be hard for American consumers to stop spending. Um, it's not something that we're really good at. Um, when we spend, we like to keep doing it. So I don't think that we're going to see this huge decline in consumer spending. And I think we potentially will see that supply chain disruption happen again after things are kind of cleared up over in China and we're just imports are just kind of dumped on us. Right. Causing well, think- chaos. I think a wild card is going to be fuel prices. Mm. And this is really consequential for all the carriers out there. I mean, you know, right now we've seen fuel prices. I haven't seen today's data from EIA, but they've been over $5 per gallon for diesel nationally on average for about a month now. Um, And I know that EIA, the Energy Information Administration for its summer fuels outlook has said that the diesel prices by you know, some point this summer will come down to about four fifty-seven a gallon, which sounds great. That's a lot better than five twenty-five or five oh seven, whatever 
it is right now, right. but it's still pretty high. So at 457, that's still a, a, a much higher fuel cost per gallon than we experienced in, uh, I think even in 2008, when we had that really big spike in fuel prices, but certainly a lot higher than in 2020, 2021. Uh, so, you know, that's going to continue to be an issue for, for carriers. And I think the good news is prices will moderate according to EIA, uh, but they'll remain high enough that you're going to have to really very carefully, you know, manage the business and manage the profitability of your business which in a sense is something you should be doing anyway, right? right. So, so that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Absolutely. The thing is to get out ahead of it and do it now if you're not already doing it. Definitely. Lots, lots of gems today for carriers, especially on, on how, what they should be looking out for and, and what they should be doing in the long for the long haul, right? For Since we're keeping the freight euphemisms going. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. It was truly a pleasure, always a pleasure speaking with you. And of course, anytime you're free, which I know is not often, please come back on. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Justin and Jenny, it's been great talking with you today. I look, forward, you, to our next, I look forward to our next podcast. Definitely. Sounds good. We do too. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Transfix Inc. or any parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the participants are affiliated and may have been previously disseminated by them. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are based upon information considered reliable, but neither Transfix Inc. nor its affiliates nor the companies with which the participants are affiliated warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such. All views and opinions are subject to change.